This morning I have the opportunity to preach on stewardship. And I really need to preach on it more than once a year. Because Jesus talked about stewardship about a third of the time. He talked about the kingdom of God about a third of the time. And then other things, uh, the, the other third. But he knew that where your treasure was, there would your heart be also. And so it's a good idea to place your treasure where you want your heart to follow. Because it will, inevitably. I've been thinking about this title for several weeks. And uh, I, I hope after the sermon you don't just remember the title and forget the sermon. So there's an outline in your worship bulletin. The title is one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, four to go. That's right. So you already know the title. Uh, and one for the money is resources, two for the show is influence, three to get ready is our readiness, and four to go is action. Real simple outline I want to hang this morning's message on. And I'm taking it from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Bill alluded to a few verses following that and when he talked about God loves a cheerful giver. It's all right there together. And it, it begins in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the offering for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brethren so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this case, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we are humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident." So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren to go on to you before me and arrange in advance for this gift you have promised so that it may be ready not as an exaction but as a willing gift. 2 Corinthians 9, 1 through 5. And then it goes on. Verse 6 says, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. One for the money, resources. Two for the show, influence. Three to get ready, readiness. Four to go, action. Resources, influence, readiness, action. Let's bow together. Fathers, we come this morning to consider our stewardship over this earth, over our talents, over our opportunities, over our resources, over our finances. You have blessed us for a reason. Not so that we might take these talents and bury them, but so that we might invest them and use them for your kingdom and your glory. Help us be not only givers, but cheerful givers, knowing that when we sow, we will reap. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've been thinking about this title for a long time, and I think you'll be able to remember the title. I just hope you'll remember the message. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, four to go. Do you know where the origin of that little nursery rhyme comes from? It comes from horse racing. And I wouldn't know that except for the fact that I looked it up. Plus, I, I lived in Louisville for eight years in seminary, and Kentucky Derby was right there, and I didn't exactly go down and hang around at the tracks or anything, but uh, I, I was just aware that 
there are three, there's win, place, and show. Win is first place, uh, place is second place, show is third place, and everybody wants to put a bet on the winner, on the horse's nose, or whatever, and so one for the money would be winning, two for the show would be win, place, show, three to get ready, four to go, and children use this nursery rhyme to take off in races or, or contests or competitions just like they did with horse racing. Racing, Incidentally, a lot of children's nursery rhymes have strange origins. You need to look them up sometime, but it, it is, uh, if we knew what we were saying when we set them, it would uh, change perhaps what we teach our children. But uh, as silly as it sounds, I think this little nursery rhyme has something to teach us about stewardship. One for the money is resources. And let me give you some background. Paul is, he's writing the Corinthian church. He's writing the Christians in Corinth about a collection for the saints he is taking up for the saints in Jerusalem. And I believe this collection is one of the primary reasons for his second missionary journey. His first missionary journey, he goes out through the Roman world and establishes churches, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, all these churches get established. And then he goes back home to Jerusalem and he sees the dire straits that the Christians in Jerusalem are suffering. A lot of the Christians in Jerusalem have, because they have professed faith in Christ, the Jews have cast them out. They are unemployed. They lose their jobs. They lose their income. And the church in Jerusalem is uh, desperately poor. And so Paul goes out on his second missionary journey and he wants to touch base with the churches he established on the first journey. But I also think on his second missionary journey, an important purpose is he's, he's receiving a collection for the Christians at the home church in Jerusalem. And he's trying to convince the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem to open their arms and love and accept and embrace the Gentile Christians out in the Roman Empire. And he's using this offering from the Gentile Christians to show the Jewish Christians at the mother church in Jerusalem their love and, and uh, hopefully help the Jewish Christians there to receive it. If any of the Christians in Jerusalem had reservations about the Gentile Christians in the empire, receiving an offering from them should go a long way in helping alleviate those concerns. So Paul is headed to the Corinthian church and the, Corinth, the church in Corinth is the flagship of the churches in Achaia. I was looking at a map, and on the, the Greek peninsula, Achaia is the southern part, Macedonia is the northern part. Macedonia is Philippi and Thessalonica and some of those cities up there. Corinth is down here in the southern arm of the Greek peninsula. And Paul had already boasted to the Macedonian churches how generous the Corinthian churches were down south. Now, Paul, Paul's a pretty smart guy when it comes to fundraising. He's also boasted to the Corinthians how generous the Macedonians were. So basically he's playing the churches up north off against the churches down south. Paul has boasted of them to the Macedonians, and so now he's asking the churches in, in Corinth not to embarrass him, even, not even shame him, as well as themselves by collecting a meager offering. And to make sure they don't, he's sending some messengers on ahead. Maybe Titus is one of those messengers. Several times in these first five verses, he's saying, I'm sending some messengers 
on ahead to start the collection, to get the offering ready, to kind of prime the pump so that when he arrives, he won't have to start from scratch and go around trying to raise this offering all by himself. It will have already begun. So he's talking about resources here, one for the money. As for us, and I know you've heard it before, I got to thinking this week, we have to be the wealthiest people on the face of the earth in the history of the world. If you think about it, in the history of the world, no civilization has ever had more than we have today. And no people on the face of the earth has more than we Americans have today. It's been said that if you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a bed to sleep in, you are wealthier than 75% of the people on the face of the earth. If you have money in your bank and in your wallet and some spare change, you are among the 8% of the world's wealthiest. If you woke up this morning with more health and illness, you are more blessed than a million people in this world who will not survive this week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the agony of imprisonment or torture, the pangs of starvation, you're luckier than 500 million people today who are alive and suffering. And if you can read, you are more fortunate than 3 billion people. That's almost half of the world's population that is illiterate. So we are wealthy. We have resources. When it comes to resources, this is a great church. Just this year, we paid off a $6.5 million building debt in five years. And I got to think, and I asked our secretaries, how many families do we have in our church? About 446 signed up for the pictorial directory, which is being published now. If all 446 of those families tithed, I estimate our budget could be $10 million, the majority of which would go to missions. Incidentally, that's what our staff decided. We took a couple hours one Monday this summer and sat around and listed what we thought would be priorities for the coming year because the finance committee wanted to know before they began formulating the budget where we wanted to place an emphasis and the top of everyone's list was missions and evangelism because that's where we as Christians have to focus if we don't want to be extinct like dinosaurs one day. We have the resources. There is no question about that. So that's one for the money. Two for this show is influence. Paul is appealing to the Corinthian church to make a good showing with their offering. And he says to the Corinthians that the Macedonians have done very well. He says so in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. We want you to know, brethren, about the grace of God which has been shown in the churches of Macedonia up north. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of liberality on their part. Between the lines, Paul is always talking about his collection. And uh, Macedonian churches have overflowed out of their extreme poverty with the wealth of liberality on their part. And Paul has told the Macedonians that have been generous that the Corinthians are generous too. And in verse 2 of chapter 9, I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia which is the area where Corinth is, has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. The word for zeal is zealos. We just transliterated that zeal. It means 
enthusiasm, excitement. And the excitement and enthusiasm of the churches in Corinth have stirred up the Macedonians and they have had a liberal offering. And so now Paul is using that to encourage the Corinthians as well. Paul says, he told them about you. He told you, he told the Macedonians about how generous the Corinthian Christians are. Now don't embarrass me, he says. He's making a good point here. When one church does well, another church is inspired and encouraged. It's that old maxim, generosity inspires generosity. That's why we do stewardship testimonies. When you hear folks give their testimony about what tithing has meant to them and their families, we hope it will inspire you and encourage you to accept a similar challenge. Generosity begets generosity. The perfect example of this happened this summer. Do you remember the ice bucket challenge that went around on the internet? It became a, a media sensation and went viral. It was raising money for ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, um, and, and people would dump a bucket of ice water on their heads and, and then challenge others to do it. And it wasn't just the water, it was making a gift to the ALS Foundation. And when it went viral, public awareness and charitable donations to the ALS Society soared. The New York Times reported that ALS received $41.8 million in one month from July 29th to August 21st. They received more in that one month than they received the entire previous year. 739,000 new donors gave to the ALS Association. Double in one month what they had done the previous year. And in two months, they raised over $100 million for ALS. Why? Because somebody did it. And it wasn't just the challenge of the ice water. It was donating to ALS. It was something important and significant and challenging others to do it. And it just spread like a pyramid. Generosity begets more generosity. And I know it's true in my own life. I heard Adrian Rogers say one time that God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. So if you trust him with 10%, see what he can do with the remaining 90. And it'll be a lot better than you can do by hoarding all 100% yourself. So let me challenge you to do that. The ice bucket challenge worked. Let me just challenge you to try tithing for one month. Just try it for one month. And if you do it and you run out of money or you miss paying some bills, you call me and I will help you out of my own pocket because I believe that God has called us to tithe. And when God asks us to do something, it's not because he needs the money. It's not because he's being mean. He asks us to trust him with the tithe because he wants to see if we trust him or not. And he knows we need to do it. He, whenever he asks us to do something, it's out of love. Whenever he tells us not to do something, it's out of love because he wants what's best for us. And if you will tithe and trust him for one month, I'll love to hear a testimony about how God has taken that 90% you have left and blessed you with it. Just accept the challenge.
See if it works. One for the money, two for the show, influence. Three to get ready. Readiness. Let's talk about readiness for a, a minute. Paul is talking about a readiness that he hopes the Corinthians will, an offering they will contribute, raising money for the church in Jerusalem. And we know Paul is talking about an offering, but it's interesting that's not the word he uses in verse 1. In verse 1, Paul says, It is superfluous for me to write to you about the offering for the saints. That's how my Bible translates it. The word for offering is not the usual word for offering in the Greek. The word for offering here is diakonias. Diakonias. Do you know what, we, what word we get from that today? We get the word deacon from it today. The word diakonias literally means, dia means, it's a preposition meaning through, and konos means dust. And so the word diakonias means through the dust. And it pictures a servant who scurries through the dust to wait on the table of his master, like a waiter, to, you know, to scurry through those, those dirty floors, the dust, and stirs up that dust to, to do whatever the master needs, to bring him what he wants, to take care of him, to minister to him. That's where the word deacon comes from. It literally means servant, through the dust. And so a literal translation of this verse would be, it is not necessary for me to write to you about the service for the saints, not offering service. That's how it's translated everywhere else. You see, Paul sees everything the church does as a service, as a diakonias. From ministering to the needy, to comforting the hurting, to preaching and teaching the gospel, whatever the church does, it's all Diakonias, it's all service, it's all scurrying through the dust to, to take care of things, to minister, to help, to tell, which is why our deacons lead the way when it comes to servanthood and service and generosity. That is their namesake. That's where they get the name. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He doesn't use the word offering. He uses the word service because an offering, like anything else the church does, is a service. From readiness, four to go, auction, action. This sermon is not just about finances, it's about stewardship. Stewardship means managing things that belong to somebody else. It's like the master has placed us here and let us be stewards over this good earth stewards over our talents and resources, stewards over our finances while he is away. And then when the master returns, he will expect an accounting from his stewards and he will expect to find us faithful. And that's what Paul is hoping will happen with the Corinthians. He is returning to Corinth and it says that some folks from Macedonia are accompanying him. The Macedonian church probably sending their offering with some Macedonians, accompanying Paul to Corinth. And if Corinth is not, is not going to be faithful in their stewardship and in this service offering, then they will be humiliated and Paul will be humiliated because he has already bragged about their generosity, so he will have egg on his face. That's why he sent someone like Titus on ahead of him so he won't have to start from scratch when he gets there 
They'll make sure the offering is already underway and will be a worthy one. As a matter of fact, the Corinthians made a pledge. Verse 5, I thought it necessary to urge the brethren to go on to you before me and arrange in advance this gift you have promised. The Corinthians have already made a pledge. And if they renege on that pledge, then, then there's a term in Paul's world, they would be known as pledge dodgers. And in archaeology, the names of pledge dodgers we have found publicly posted in the marketplace. So Paul is asking them, do you want to be known as a pledge dodger? You have already promised an offering. I'm sending some guys on ahead to get it started. I'm bringing some Macedonians with me who are bringing a liberal offering because I bragged to them about you. And so now I want you to be faithful. He doesn't just want them to avoid shame, though. He wants them to discover the blessing of giving because God loves a cheerful giver. And he's fighting an uphill battle here, here because the concept of charity and something so familiar to us today was a foreign concept in Paul's day, especially charity for strangers. When they collected money in Paul's day, it was usually, or when you made money, it was for your own household, it was for your own enjoyment, it was for yourself. So collecting money and sending to people you did not know who were not even of the same race, the Gentiles in the Roman world sending money to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. It was unheard of, but it was an obstacle that Paul felt like he needed to overcome because he was passionate about helping the Jerusalem church. The church, we don't know, but it may have been on the verge of splitting. The Jewish Christians still weren't very sure about these Gentile Christians out in the world. You remember Paul was the one responsible for bringing the Gentile Christians into the church and saying you did not need to become a Jew in order to be saved. And so now he's worried that, that it, it might be hurting the church, that, that there might be a division. And he's hoping this offering that he is so serious about will help bridge the gap that might have been forming between the two churches. If Paul has to twist their arm, they'll come off being ungrateful and stingy. It may provide help for the poor church back home, but it will undermine the whole purpose of the project. It's not a tax. It's not a burden that weighs them down out of guilt. He knows that people all too often give out of a sense of guilt rather than a glad heart. But he doesn't want the Corinthians to feel this offering is imposed because generous giving only comes when it's voluntary and not coerced. In verse 5, the word for gift is another interesting word. It's unusual. It's not the usual Greek word for gift. I thought it necessary to urge the brethren to go on to you before me and arrange in advance for this gift you have promised so that it may be ready not as an exaction but as a willing gift. The word for gift in the Greek is eulogia. We get the word eulogy from it today. You know what a eulogy is? At a funeral, it's when someone stands up and speaks, says something nice about the deceased. You is a Greek prefix meaning good. Logos is the Greek word meaning word. So it's good word, eulogy. And usually when eulogia is used in the Greek, it refers to blessing. So what Paul is saying, I thought it necessary to urge the brethren to go unto you before me and arrange in advance this blessing you have promised so that it may not be ready not as an exaction but as a willing blessing. 
God has blessed us. Why? To see what kind of stewards we'll be. He has blessed us so we can be a blessing to others. But here the blessing's not verbal. It's concrete. It's finances. Words of blessing pronounced on others come easily, but being a blessing to others by sharing our possessions is a different matter. And Paul knows when you share what God has blessed you with, then you can become a blessing to others materially and spiritually. So in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul has stimulated a rivalry between two neighboring areas, Macedonia in the north, Achaia, or Corinth in the south. And he set up each as an example of generosity to the others. Macedonia has held up their end. And now Paul is writing the Corinthians to make sure they will hold up their end of the bargain and avoid humiliation. It may sound like a clever fundraising ploy, but you have to remember the importance of this collection that Paul is gathering. It's a collection that not only will alleviate the poverty of the Jerusalem church, but it may even help preserve its unity. So why do I preach on stewardship? Not because it's necessary for this great church to function and do ministry. I preach on stewardship because I care about you. And I know that when you become a faithful steward, God will bless you. And you will experience fully the blessing that he intends for you to have. One for the money, resources. Two for the show, influence. Three to get ready, readiness. Four to go, action. I challenge you. Take that action and see what God can do. Let's bow together. Father, you have blessed us with abundance of resources. And in so much of life, we live in fear, thinking that, that we're not going to have enough, and so we hoard some and we save some, and, and that's good. To, to hold on to a little bit, but only after we have trusted you with the tie that you have expected of your stewards. And so help us trust you with everything. You own us. You own this world. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, and you own the hills those cattle are standing on. And yet you ask us to, to be faithful stewards because that becomes a barometer of how much we trust you, how much we love you, how much we believe you and your word. We want to try it and just see what will happen. Turning it all over to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.